0: Kia ora, aotearoa. Robert Hollis here. Welcome to Rebet Live on Today FM. I hope your week has been going well. I hope you've been smashing it. I hope you've been doing good things, helping others, doing whatever it is that you do to keep the wheels turning in your brain, and your life, and your mind, and your body, and in your soul, and everything just being awesome. Anyway, let's get into today's show. Oh, actually, for starters, what is the show about? Oh, I'll tell your team. I love this intersection of creativity, commerce culture community and so much more sometimes a bit of contact maybe now now i'm getting into my my later 30s a little bit more politics i'm starting to understand how the world works and oh it's pretty scary I'll tell you what um if you had just tuned in for the first time i've got a simple idea with you know new zealand wins when new zealanders win and anytime i get the opportunity to learn from others share what they know repeat that in a little bit of a cycle come up with this kind of learn share repeat thing which i hold pretty close to my heart and i think it is important that more people do i just i think new zealand is a great place i think we can do so much better and i i love the idea when you get access to amazing smart people that you can uh you know use that intel to pass on to others to do better and speaking of doing better today's show very stoked we've got a phd team we've got a doctor in the house cliff harvey He's a registered clinical nutritionist, registered um, naturopath, medical herbalist. Uh, He's a former world champion all-around weightlifter, current and former world strength record holder. He's also an author, clinician, researcher, and speaker. He's a leader in carb-appropriate nutrition, mind, body, healthcare, and he's worked with many, many different people, including Olympians, professional athletes, Commonwealth Games people, athletes as well, high-performing athletes from all sorts and he's been working with a whole lot of people around overcoming the effects of uh, chronic and debilitating health conditions, most recently long COVID. Uh, he's also co-founded and um, the many successful health, fitness and wellbeing businesses, and I'm very excited to talk to him today. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, for a bit live on Today FM, Dr. Cliff Harvey, PhD. Rock and roll, morena Cliff, how are you my friend? Ata mario, brother. I'm good. And by good, you mean you have actually been shit because you've just got back from COVID. So we'll, st- we'll st- start there. So how has how, how the, the just short uh, COVID been over the last two weeks but now back on track?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, when I say good, I'm good relative to how I was last week, I guess. <coughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's been pretty rough. You know, I um, just mentioned off-air to you before that I, I spoke at a conference, a medical conference a couple of weeks back. Uh, first one, you know, in two years, having, you know, previously done a lot of speaking. Um, so, the first one in two years because of the pandemic. And ironically, I was speaking about nutrition and long COVID and picked up COVID at the conference and was just, you know, laid out for a week, um, you know, r- really bad. Having said that, it wasn't the worst sick I've ever been. It was probably in the top five, you know, of colds and flus. Um, but yeah, it really knocked me around. And I'm, I'm just finding this week, it, it feels like there's a long tail and that meshes what I see in a lot of my patients, you know, who get COVID and it just seems to linger for quite a long time. So it's a little bit different to your standard cold where you can usually hit it and, you know, be up and running properly within a week. So I was actually
0: very stoked to hear, and I never wish bad on anyone, but I was kind of stoked that you actually got COVID because as a clinician and a researcher and a speaker and someone who's obviously self-aware around their body and health and being a doctor and all the other cool cool, you know educated stuff that comes along with it because you've been so well read on this thing and then when you're going through it as a clinician and a researcher that it, was the experience different like was it kind of like oh and then I can feel my body doing this and like did you get very analytical like and I asked because you know I used to um you know a, a I used to be a snowboarder, professional snowboarder, but then I also did my snowboard instructors. And every time we'd be on a chill with other instructors, the second they see another snowboarder, their brain instantly goes to instructor mode to break down and analyse every little bit for it, right? Now, as a researcher, yeah. clinician, author, and um, speak yourself, was it similar journey that you started analysing, I guess, your body and everything else in a different way that potentially other people didn't?
1: Yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, I'm always going to be thinking about, you know, all the things that are going on with the disease process and how I can support that. Um, but but so much of what, what I do and what we do as a family is, is kind of to improve our resiliency anyway. So a lot of the things that, you know, I was thinking about, well, these are the things I should do, we were kind of doing them regardless. Um, but one of the big things that comes out of this is whenever, like, I work a lot with people who have COVID and I'm, I'm working a lot in the long COVID space. And so getting COVID kind of makes it more real. And yes. I think that's in some respects a good thing because I can relate just that much more now to my clients and my patients. Uh, and one of the big things now is, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get long COVID. So a lot of the process now is about doing all those things that I've I've researched and I've applied with other other people um, to try and avoid that because, you know, that, that can be pretty debilitating. So.
0: So with that, right, um, one of the things you know, through, I was, um, been living in America for a couple of years, but when COVID started coming up, it was very, because it was so new data was scarce and when data is scarce, but there's lots of media brains start to go in different ways as a researcher. did you always have a first way of thinking of like, give me the data first. I need to see the data, data, data. Was it like, just flag the noise? Like how did your brain process, I guess, going through the world of COVID, but as a researcher who understands the stuff that's happening with it, do you know what I mean? Did, yeah. was your experience different of what you were, like where you were looking and what you were looking for? Just talk us through the headspace of how, I guess you were allocating your your mental bandwidth through this.
1: It's a really good question. And I think what we need to do in the absence of a lot of data is look at what's plausible. And so in the early days, my my colleagues and I were really interested in looking at other you know, other conditions. So like post-viral complications from Epstein-Barr virus and post-viral complications of influenza and all the things that we know around how we can optimally support the immune system through nutrition and lifestyle, because obviously it's, it's all gonna rest on that immune inflammatory cascade, right? And so there's a lot that we already know about that. And although we don't always, you know, we can't, we couldn't always in those early days directly link it to COVID, there was at least a high degree of plausibility and if things that we're suggesting are, are safe, you know, like, hey, maybe we should consider taking a multi so that we're at least micronutrient replete. Um, and it's likely that vitamin D is going to be of benefit. So hey, let's make sure we're sufficient in that. Uh, zinc, you know, vi- preformed vitamin A, these are all things that are really important for optimizing immune function. And they're commonly lacking in Kiwi diets. So a lot of people don't get enough of these things from diet. So these are, all have a very high degree of plausibility. And because they're really safe, it just makes sense to push a very general um, message of better health. But then as the data starts to accumulate, you can then start to link things directly. And so I've kind of kept, especially for my students, I've kept living documents where I'm updating them quite frequently You know, with the latest research on COVID, long COVID, uh, even things like COVID vaccination, adverse mm-hmm. events and the interactions that nutrition and lifestyle play with those things. And so you, you can start off with a, a sort of general guideline for health and then really start to refine it over time. And unfortunately, I think the the message of health has pretty much been ignored, right? Because there, there have been so much of the intervention has been about, you know, it's been about lockdowns, mandates, masks, all those sorts of things. And I'm not opposed to any of those necessarily, but the, the bigger message I think is, how do we, on an individual level, be more resilient, and how, on a societal level, can we really help to support people's health and resiliency, not just for COVID, but for you know, for, for helping people to be healthier and happier? Because that's the the missing piece of the equation.
0: So um, my brain's trying to figure out where to go with this because there's so there's so much through. It's almost like a, um, you know, when when I talked to Rob Fife right at the start of this, I was talking about this idea of like. Um, BC, AC of like before COVID, after COVID type thing. And he was going, oh, well the bit that you're missing is during COVID, because we don't know how long this is gonna last for. It may be years, it may be, and I was like, huh, I would never thought everyone was thinking about, okay, We get this thing, we get the jab, and then we just get back on with life. And Pro to the point now, when you're even thinking about this idea of first, like long COVID and these things, the during bit, we don't know. But I think to your point, when you're looking at the plausibility of these other things, it builds in. So this message of health, right? How do you think Kiwis think about their health now in general, post COVID, global recession, pandemic, chaos bullshit do you think our headspace has changed got more educated more more aware or they've blocked it out what's your what's your thinking there
1: i'm a little bit cynical and you know one of the reasons (laughs) one of the reasons for that no i'm optimistic and i'm hopeful but i'm a little bit cynical as well and the reason for that is if we take a bit of a step back you know we look at COVID as being this very isolated event So, you know, it's COVID, and so we're thinking about before COVID, after COVID, and that's completely understandable, but, you know, going back 10, 20, you know, 20 odd years, I was talking with colleagues about that there's going to be something, you know, we always knew there was a pandemic coming and we had had potential pandemics that didn't actually eventuate like uh, MERS and SARS-1. Uh, there have been obviously been pandemics before the 1918 influenza virus. There's been various influenza viruses through, um, the 20th century that were very serious. And so we knew it was coming and there are a lot of us who were behind the scenes clamoring for there to be number one, better latency in the health system, because, you know, we, we have, what I mean by latency or redundancy is we have redundancy for other things like the military, right? we're not at war but we still have to have a standing military just in case we know that there are going to be these big public health challenges like these pandemics and yet we don't always build in the redundancy within the health system to be able to cope with that Uh, and if we look at the costs of what we had to do retro or sort of retrofitting things during the pandemic it was incredibly costly And so it could be a case of a stitch in time saves nine, right? If we are, you know, working on those things better. But also, I think that we really need to reevaluate how we look at our societal systems, because I'm firmly of the belief, and this has really made it clear through the pandemic, that we can't necessarily have optimized outcomes. And for me, optimized outcomes are about health and happiness. It's, you know, if you look back at Greek philosophy, it's a eudaimonistic philosophy, right, which is that there is virtue and happiness. Most people strive for happiness in their lives. And happiness is a synonym, really, for passion and purpose, right? We can't have those things within a system that is almost solely geared towards growth and profitability, because they're not necessarily aligned. So I'm not saying we can't have growth and profitability. You know, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur by nature. I always have been. But at the same time, the, the outcome is the most important thing. And if anyone thinks about what they what their real whys are, it's not to have X amount of dollars in the bank. We all know this. I know this is trite stuff and I'm talking about it in a trite kind of way, but it's always about what that means you know, what does that mean for your life? What does that mean for your passion and purpose? What does that mean for you spending time with your family, your kids, doing things you enjoy You know, all that kind of stuff? And so I think we, we really need to bring the focus back to that. And so I'll get back on track here with the, the situation with COVID. I hoped in the beginning and I spoke about this on a, at a, lot, of, on a lot of podcasts. I, I really hoped that this might signal a bit of a sea change in the way that people saw their lives, not necessarily just their health, um, not necessarily what they do, but really reevaluating their life and looking at what's most important. I think it happens a little bit, but unfortunately we drift back into just the, the old way. And I think part of the mentality is because, oh, we're, we're kind of over COVID now, even if we're not, people think we are. And so we just get back to business and yeah, exactly. And doing things the way we always have, um, which is also completely understandable because if the system is geared towards that, you're kind of stuck, right? I can talk, Till the cows come home about passion and purpose and creativity and things like that. But if you've got to go to work and work a 10-hour day and do that six days a week because cost of living is extraordinary and we don't have a true living wage, you know, if you're on minimum wage, you literally cannot earn enough to live well. Like that's crazy. So you're not gonna have the opportunity to be thinking about. Well, you know what's going to serve my health and happiness best. It's like, dude, just get in, do the work, get home, smoke a dairy, watch some Netflix, and that's it, right? So, these are the things we need to really approach. But yeah, (laughs) yeah. I'm not opposed to smoking something else. I'd rather people smoke cannabis uh, than a dairy. I I get that, but so there's a lot
0: to unpack in there, right? And I'm kind of stoked that you went there. This this tension of, you know passion versus profit versus people versus planet, this this commerce versus community versus you know, um, this culture. Does it get you disappointed in humanity that after a two-year lockdown, we jump straight back in mentally to BAU so we could almost forget it and get on with it instead of resetting what we prioritise with our time? Because it doesn't feel like humans have really reset the priorities after a two-year lockdown, it doesn't feel for what we've actually been through. Is that a fair statement or or are people a bit more kind of aware or are they just like, it's been a flippin' nightmare, let's get on to the next. I'd rather deal with a recession than a pandemic. I mean, what's what's your take?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's all of that. I I think really we're on a runaway train and that's why it's difficult because for any individual, they don't always have the privilege, the opportunity, or the wherewithal to, to necessarily change their own life situation to be more conducive to that, you know, sort of life of passion and purpose that we talk about. And that's why, again, it can be a, a little bit trite to, to even bring it up, because for a lot of people, it, it can't always be an easily achieved reality. For some people, sure. Um, but this is where we also talk about that, um, you know, it's, it's like the situation of the worried well, that we talk about a lot in health, right? The people What's who that? are the biggest... Con- so the people who are the biggest consumers of supplements and diet and nutrition advice and all those types of things, and who can afford to, to, to get those things, they're not those that are most in need. They're those who are concerned about their health and concerned about their wellness and their happiness and all those types of things. But they also have the expendable income to be able to do it. So they're the, the, what we call the sort of worried well. Uh, on the other hand, we have people who have you know health conditions that are, really serious and they don't always have access to good resources we obviously have underserved communities uh whether those are maori pacifica or just you know the 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 growing numbers of people who are realistically in poverty even though it's not frank poverty per se Uh, and that crosses over you know you know race and ethnicity as well even though we have a disproportionate amount of you know poorer brown people so, you know, there, there are a lot of people who can't easily achieve that which other people do. And so th- these are the bigger questions that need to be addressed, but they're hard to address when you're just grandstanding for a four-year election cycle.
0: Oh, jeez, here <laughs> we go. Nice little segue to politics, And I'm not going to get okay. into politics, but it's more about
1: the socio I, stuff, you know?
0: I know, I, I totally get it. So, but there's, the the there's, you know, anytime you think about I always go back to this idea of this unity of purpose, right? Where, you know, alter in 1840, when we signed the Treaty of Waitangi, we brought together culture and community, right? And there was a moment unification, but there hasn't been a moment since we've had culture, community, and commerce in one moment for a thing and it felt like COVID actually became that thing where all of a sudden mm. the entire country for, for, for obviously more for bad than potentially good we were unified with it you know you got the team of five million yada 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 but it became this 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 moment in time for for this nation now to your point when you're talking about you know business as usual it feels like there's this kind of this headspace shift which it may not be happening for the average Kiwi because they're just trying to you know, survive. Not even like They're like stuff thriving, being the worried well. I'm just trying to flip and make sure that I've got heat in the house and my kids can flip and not be freezing at night, right? So yeah. to this thing about what I maybe want to kind of mellowly segue into is this thing around mindset. Now, um, you've been able to work with a bunch of weapons, right? High performing athletes, Olympians, Commonwealth crew, just a bunch of machines, right? Now, when you're working with all these people, there's something that I've really been interested around the mindset of high performance. And there's this headspace that high performing athletes have that weirdly enough, I see it transition into, um, goes into business for some of them. I've seen it in like SAS and ex-military, I've also seen it in high performing CEOs. There's something flipping in there, but there's this mindset sort of thing. When you think about the last couple of years around, the difference in mindset between the high-performing athletes that you've worked with, with how they see things, and maybe the average the average Q or whatever, what is the gap that you feel New Zealand is missing from a mindset perspective that we're not seeing or executing on now that would actually make New Zealand better?
1: Well, that, that's a great question. The, uh, and I think there are two elements that I see coming through. One is it really speaks directly to what you're saying. Having worked with a lot of high-performing athletes, and you know, obviously, I've you know done my fair share of stuff in sports as well. This there always seemed to be this this difference where those people who were Olympic and world champions, you know, Commonwealth Games athlete, those types of things, they they already believed they were there, right? So it was a big difference between the person who who never quite made it and was saying, you know, I'm going to be this, or maybe one day I can be this versus that person who has this belief deep down that I am a champion. So it's the difference between I will be, or I can be versus I am now, even if you're not that yet, you know, we, we know from, I guess, psycho neurophysiology and the study of neurology and things like that, that if we believe something, and if we're then creating you know, the the vision of something as if it's true now, that is the most impactful in terms of programming those neural pathways. So I think that's a really big part of it. But the other part, and I've seen this a lot, uh, interestingly, with long COVID and people have had some COVID vaccination adverse events, because even though it's rare, there are those people who have those serious events. One thing I've noticed with the people who tend to progress much, much faster and come out of it is that they have something to live for, you know, that they might be a, a, a top level athlete. Cause I work with, you know, top level athletes, professional athletes who have come down with long COVID or they might be an artist. They might be a recording artist. They might be a visual artist. They've got something that they're really passionate and purposeful about. And that provides that whole different level of motivation to keep on doing the things they need to do to recover. Whereas if you have someone whose life isn't really that great right now, maybe they are struggling financially. Um, You know, I I worked with a huge amount of people pro bono during that, you know, pandemic time uh, working with Long Covid because a lot of them just couldn't afford it. Um, But those who were struggling financially and maybe had a shitty job they didn't enjoy, not that any job's shitty, but they thought it was shitty. Uh, And, you know, they basically didn't have that extra passion and purpose driver then it's very hard to stay on track with the things that are conducive to health when you don't see a point in getting healthier. Now, it may not be that you consciously see that, but there is certainly that belief of, well, you know, what's the point?
0: Yeah, because they can't see the thing. In, and in, in most athletes, you know, they, they see the... You know, I remember when I stuffed my ankle just before in spring and I was like, dude, if I don't get this fixed by November first or December first, I can't go to Tahoe Like I need to get this thing. And every day I was literally just like on the little balance board. I'm just everything I'm just like, I'm just looking at this one ankle being like, I need to fix this thing. But but you they see this that that vision which they see, which where they know they will become is the purpose, it is the drive, it is the motivation, that is the thing. And they can literally like I could literally see I fix this, I do that. And it became really kind of almost bluntly, like savagely binary. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if that's a good or bad thing, but it crosses over. So so there's this headspace thing around belief and, and maybe vision. So well, then now when- Flip so that go.
1: too. So if you flip that and you think, well, I, I don't actually have that much to live for. Sometimes a condition can become a treasured wound, right? And that's something that people actually don't necessarily want to get over because when they have the condition, they're getting supported by people, they're getting sympathy, they're having practitioners who care for them, you know, who are talking with them, you know, they're they're basically getting a whole level of different engagement on an interpersonal level that they otherwise wouldn't get. And I'm not saying that people choose it necessarily, but there can be a subconscious belief pattern where it's very difficult to let go of the condition. And so in that sort of, you know, mind, body or psychoneurophysiology sense, we, we sort of think about it as being a treasured wound. Again, it's not a conscious thing. It's subconscious because the the condition becomes um, something that provides a lot of service to the person.
0: um, My brain just went to, you know, you see the classic where a a parent passes away or something bad happens and that becomes a split in the road for this is an excuse for me to be a piece of shit and just go off and just do a bunch of bad stuff because this thing happened to me or that becomes the chip on the shoulder, becomes a fuel. So for me, you know, when my dad passed, it was like this chip on the shoulder of, I'm gonna go and do something awesome and great and whatever, and became fuel. It's like, that I always think of water and fuel, you know, you, you are a yeah. fire, these things happen. And then you've got two, 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 you kind of like hold a jug of water and a jug of gasoline. You're like, okay, cool. So I'm either gonna choose to put water on it and be like, oh, poor me, was me, whatever. Or I put gas in and let's flip and go. But it's that, it's, maybe it, maybe it is as simple as that binary decision of being able to see and believe it. But I, I also understand that point too, which it's just funny how every time you talk about the body or something, it syncs directly to the mind of the mindset and the headspace of what, like it's, it's almost impossible to have this body without the mind, like is it, is it possible? I mean, I, I don't, I mean, you, you'd know better, I'm interested in your thoughts.
1: Oh, that I You know, the, the mind-body side of medicine is the next frontier. And, you know, I've been fascinated by that for my entire time in practice. I've been in practice now for 25 years. And I've studied through that time a lot of mind-body modalities. I actually did my early postgrad in mind-body healthcare, care. Um, and the, the reason is that I just think it's so fascinating that, you know, the, the, the body and mind are so closely interrelated. And there are so many things that spring from our subconscious mind, our belief patterns, that drastically affect all of our actions. You know, our, you know th- th- for example, here's a really good example. And I spoke about this on a podcast with a couple of uh, researchers from, from Aussie the low back pain is one of the most prevalent conditions in the modern world right and it's very debilitating it causes a huge amount of economic damage if we look at the research the connection between chronic low back pain so long-term low back pain and pathology or in other words like injuries of the spine and things like that is very unclear to the point where we would say that sure if you if you injure yourself you're going to have a sore back but once the injury heals It shouldn't continue to be chronically debilitating, but it often is. And the other thing is that if we look at, um, you know, studies that have looked at at this have looked at basically the fact that you have people with pathologies of the spine who don't have pain, the same pathologies of the spine who do have pain and people without pathologies who have the same type of pain. So because there are all those people with different things going on but they're experiencing pain or not, and it's not related to the pathology, we need to look at what else is going on. Anyway, the biggest associations between low back pain or with low back pain are actually psychosocial things like fear, right? And so the the body will directly create, or the mind and body in concert will directly create conditions within the body to serve a particular purpose. Um, you know, and, and outside of that, a lot of what we do is almost, semi-autonomic. You know, they're reactions that we do based on things we've done in response to stimuli over and over and over again. Now, if those are pushing us off our our best life path that will help to make us healthier and happier, they're obviously not positive, but we often don't realize. Uh, and so yeah, it's it's a massive area and it's it's something we need to research a lot more. And we also need to be very aware of it so that we can, I think, help people to to have a more positive mindset that will, and by positive mindset I mean something that will lead to better outcomes for them. You know, to sort of allow people to start expressing themselves and their passion and their purpose.
0: So an even more interesting next level segue from this, that mind-body personally is that transition where it goes into business with, you know, millionaires and billionaires. There is a clear gap from, and I've been, you know, fortunate enough to hang out with some people who have done really well for themselves, the way they think their bodies, our bodies are all the same, but their brains and the energy towards thinking about business or scale or global or whatever it may be. It's just different, man. It, there's a flipping and you know, they talk about growth mindset and abundance mindset and, and this and that, whatever. And it's really difficult for me. it, it, it It's getting easier, but just seeing the scale of, when it transitions more on the business side, like for example, I was golfing with um, one of my bros and I was like, oh yeah, you know, just with the investors down in Texas, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh cool, how's the round looking? He's like, yeah, we're at 500 now, hopefully we'll it will get up to 650. And he's talking about million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, to get my head around like, you know, the New Zealand VC market, or whatever, it might be like $2 billion, whatever. So his one round is like 25% of our entire country's VCP market. And he's just like, oh yeah, you know, but just the, the the there's a something again and maybe it's not necessarily the mind body but there is a transition of the way people are think about you know scarcity and growth and abundance and all the stuff and there are these once again pro to, to your point cliff it's this there's there's these mindset triggers or these mindset unlocks or there's these mindset things and and do you feel that most of that's driven on 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 fear of the unknown of what could be or the fear of failure or the the white does that does that transition into this flip and tall poppy syndrome shit I mean where does where does the where are these mental red flags and handbrakes that keep us feeling and acting in a scarce space for a lot of the time do you have any thoughts around those kind of triggers
1: yeah I, I think the um, well it's it's complex obviously I think that the, the fear of success and the fear of failure can be equally debilitating and you know I, I think people can can fall victim victim to either of those things. Uh, But so much, there's a couple of different elements to this. So much of what we're able to achieve is to a large degree, based on what we've been conditioned into subconsciously over a lifetime. And this is why, you know, so many people have self-limiting beliefs that they don't realize, and it's based on their upbringing. So for people to be able to transcend that, I think we need to be very gentle with them. And, you know, we need to have more resources to be able to help people to transcend some of those self-limiting beliefs. Um, The the other aspect I think that's really important for people to think about is survivorship bias, because often we see these people who are ultra successful and I think to be ultra successful, they do need to have that mindset, but simply having the mindset and the intention doesn't mean it's going to become true because there are you know millions of people out there with the positive mindset the positive intention but maybe they they didn't do the work uh, or maybe they weren't lucky in some situations you know they didn't meet that person at that right time or maybe they you know they created who knows maybe they created Twitter before Twitter but it didn't get that round of funding or it didn't get that one person who could really push it big you know uh, we see that a lot nowadays in the influencer market. Uh, you know, as as you know, I'm one of the founders of the Newsiest company, and you know, so we're we're very involved in you know markets around the world. that we're in, you know in the states and Canada and twenty odd different countries, and so we're we're very involved in that sort of influencer market. And you can see the effect of you know it used to be the Oprah effect, then it was the Allen effect, then it was the Tim Ferriss effect, now it's the Joe Rogan effect. You know, if people can get that one person to promote their stuff, often that leads to this windfall opportunity. So there might be a whole bunch of companies out there with better products, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't necessarily matter. You know, it's it's important to be first to market, but what's way more important is to be first to mind. And so cracking through and getting that visibility is super important. So, you know, I think um, in, in terms of the ultra success that we see, there is some degree of survivorship bias within that as well, because it's not always the most talented, uh, apt, or the person with the, the best mindset that succeeds.
0: I love that idea of you know first to mind over first to market. You've got such a wide range of depth with where you cross over, because you've obviously you know been the athlete, you've obviously done the study, you're running the businesses, you kind of you see a lot of the different angles for it. But looping back around to the on the um, on the where we I guess started with around the clinician researching, but on this nutrition side, one of the things you know we we talked about off air maybe a, a little bit for it was this idea of us as Kiwis not only you know I guess potentially trying to go back to business as usual or whatever it may be, but this concept of actually actually being undernourished. Now, yep. I did not know that was even kind of a thing and you're saying it is quite a biggish thing, and obviously at the start you're talking about, you know do we need vitamin D or this or that or whatever. At a macro, are we undernourished? How much by, and why the hell aren't we talking about it, and what can we do about it? Give, give us the 101, because I was like, wait, what, we're under I mean, I knew we, we need some maybe some vitamin D for something, but I don't,
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it's a good question, because I think what we typically frame, or well, we typically frame it within this idea that we have a, a diabetes epidemic, which we do. So we've got increasing rates of metabolic syndrome, diabetes, um, you know, people with overweight, people with obesity. And so we typically tend to think, well, we're eating too much. And that's true to some degree. And that might be true for a lot of people a lot of the time. And there's no judgment in there because we live in an environment of basically hyper palatable, ultra refined food. Right. And a lot of marketing, which basically tells us to do that or tells us to eat those foods. Um, But even within that, those hyper-palatable, ultra-refined foods are not always particularly nutrient-dense. And so people aren't always getting, even if they're eating an excess of energy or calories, they're not always getting all the micronutrients they require to be optimally healthy or optimally resilient. Now, there's also a significant proportion. and We're not sure what it is. We were actually going to do some research on this before COVID hit, and the, the funding kind of dried up. We will reapproach it at some point, but we suspect that maybe one in five people are under underfueled, like full stop, right? So they're not necessarily overeating, they're under eating. And that exacerbates the problem of not taking in enough of those micronutrients, vitamins and minerals and whatnot. But even just not having enough energy has a, a high comorbidity rate or high association with depression, anxiety, a lot of our sort of mental health challenges. And so it's not the only answer, of course, but if someone's under eating, and they're undernourished in terms of the micros, they, they can't be optimally healthy. Now, the the reason, and and this is also not just speculative. You know, we have New Zealand government data which shows us things like around 10% of people don't get enough vitamin A. Um, A lot of people don't get enough vitamin D through diet or sun exposure. Uh, About nearly half of all Kiwi males don't get enough zinc. 25% of people across the board don't get enough zinc. So, you know, there are a lot of things. We would suspect that based on all that combined evidence, at least half of Kiwis are not getting sufficient amounts of, You know vitamins and minerals they require from diet. I suspect it's a lot higher for the sole reason that in the last say five to ten years of looking at people's food data in in our clinic, we haven't seen one person yet who is taking in sufficient amounts of all the nutrients they require for optimal health. Not one. It's not one. And so this has been super interesting with um, long uh, long COVID and COVID vaccination adverse events that we've been looking at in our research. Because a lot of the people we've been dealing with are high performers. They're successful artists or business people or professional athletes. And you would suspect that their diet's pretty good. And if you just eyeball it, it actually looks pretty good. But when we run it through food analysis, we realize that there are glaring insufficiencies in what they're taking in. And it's not until someone gets a significant challenge, like, you know, a big bout of stress, or maybe they begin overtraining or they get a virus like COVID that it becomes. Apparent, and so it's a massive cofactor for long COVID. So when people have COVID, um, they, they found that the people who go on to get long COVID, you know, about sixty-one percent of them are malnourished in some way, mostly through not getting enough protein, essential fats. Maybe they're under fueled, or maybe they're not getting enough zinc or vitamin D or other things. But it's a it's a pretty massive rate, you know, to see that probably two thirds of people with long COVID are undernourished.
0: Last question before you go, I'm interested to know, last two years, you've obviously been in the game for 25. When you fast forward out another 25, how do you see Kiwi's health and how do you see, and what, because obviously there's waves of mind and body that's coming up, there's waves of, you know, we're, we're getting more educated and aware, but then the execution part's the bit which we're potentially not, because you're going to balance up against the commercial side. How do you think Aotearoa looks in 25 years?
1: Such a tough one. And I, I don't know. You know, I, Sounds I would hope- like we're hope... about to
0: get into politics. <laughs> no, I would hope
1: that we can reform- not necessarily politics, I just hope that we can reform our our systems to align with a better appreciation for the outcome of, of happiness, right? Mm-hmm. I know that sounds vacuous, but if we can align, and if we can have more objective measures around that, like, you know, working towards making, because there are obviously measures that people look at country by country for happiness indices and things like that. If we can use that as one of our key you know, one of our KPIs as a country, then I think that will help because we can start to lever more more resources into helping people in a preventative sense be healthier, number one, so we need to invest more in that, um, and we, we might need to reform the tax system in order to do that, you know, that that's up for debate, but I, I believe we would have to, and then also put greater resource into supporting people to, to have... Um, the opportunity but to pursue happiness more effectively i think we certainly need to do that i i don't know if we can do that well and one of the things that i think is the biggest block right now is it's so divisive right you know there's i think more than any time in my life i'm seeing so much division between left and right and you know sort of the alt communities versus orthodox you know all the things that we see in the states and other countries that are sort of translated through to here I think we need to get over that uh, if we're going to move forward because there's just so much division and it's it's societal, it's political and it's racial. And I think um, we need to really address that quickly if we can actually have this outcome where we can start to, to be a place that we all want to live. <laughs> but that should be the focus, right? It's something that w- didn't really come out in the local in the recent local body elections, I would have thought that the key thing for Auckland, for example, is to say to people, look, we want this to be the most livable city in the world. That, that to me, is a really aspirational goal. But instead, it's always about, you know, let's cut this, cut that, or no, no, we need to motorway. tax and spend more and more. Yeah, exactly, exactly. If, if there's not a lot that's really cohesive because there can't be long-term vision when we're pandering to certain segments of the population so that we can get votes quickly to get the next election cycle.
0: Hmm, so, reading between the lines, within 25 years,
1: Dr Cliff Harvey will be in politics. I'm very excited for it. The- <laughs> I think what it'll be is, yeah, is a South American-style revolution? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for um, rocking I, I like where we segued through and it has been really cool seeing the um, the 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 weaving of these different things, which are all utterly connected, regardless which way you go. So I really appreciate your time, bro. Thanks heaps. I
1: appreciate you, brother. Thank you. My man.
0: What a banter. Jeezy smart. Dr. Cliff Harvey, PhD. I didn't realize we'd go all all the ways that we did. And um, it was awesome having, you know, just speaking, listening to him with how much depth of knowledge he had in each of these different verticals of mind, body, and obviously going into politics and business, and and who's who knows what. Um, very good, very good chat. There's a there's a bunch in there, right? My brain was kind of going around this thing, this tension of you know growth and profitability versus you know uh, versus community and well-being, and and this this link up between mind and body. And I did not think that we would have you know 50% of kiwis basically not getting enough new nutrition um really really interesting and he had this thing of you know um in terms of the the, the branding the marketing whatever it is is you know first to mind and then first to market but you got to get to first to mind first how do you sort of get in there um when you know to the end of the conversation there we talking about you know health and food and you know he talked about this this kind of the the natural food the whole grain the unprocessed and obviously there's these processed foods I was just kind of wondering you know do you try and regulate in through government some type of traffic light system of every single item that needs to be in every single supermarket should get graded of like a a colour code of is it, you know, natural food, whole grain food, unprocessed food, processed, how much, you know, like have a percentage, have something like give us a traffic light system, something so when we walk through it's like, hey, I want to just get some green stuff. I know I'm going to be good with, you know, the unprocessed whole grain, natural food, whatever it may be. There has to be as much as we were kind of giving shit about marketing. Surely there is a marketing opportunity that is genuinely massive to be able to reshift how people are, are choosing to buy the food which goes into their body to make them fitter and healthier and better Kiwis so we can have better businesses, better people, longer, you know, less, better health, whatever it may be. There's an idea in their team. There's something in there. Color-coded traffic light system or something for food. Maybe we should do that. You know, maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's something in there. Uh, really interesting talking to Dr. Cliff Harvey P. HD. Uh, if you, uh, wherever you get it, smartphones, you can download the Rover app or if you're on Spotify, Apple, whatever it may be, you can also go straight to and just um, hashtag in for hashtag Rebet, live, R-O-B-E-T-T, live, and we'll be off to the races. Download, we're over, over 300 episodes now. Slowly getting better, team. We're slowly getting better, but I love chats like this where you get to get to learn, get to grow and get to figure out um, you know a whole bunch more about, you know, life and these different things, which I'm obviously uh, not, I'm interested in, curious about, and I'm getting to learn more and more each different time, which is awesome too, so enjoy the rest of the uh, the week, team, whatever you're up to, do good, be good, be great, do awesome stuff, and uh, I'll see you guys soon, adios!